0: Several years ago, there was a news story about a man named Don Wyman. He was muscular and worked for a mining company. One day at about 4 p.m., he was alone in a forest cutting down a tree when the tree snapped back in his direction and knocked him down to the ground. The massive oak landed on his left shin, shattering his bone and ripping the flesh. He tried to free himself using his chainsaw, to no avail. He did everything he could think of, but still, he couldn't get free. He realized that unless he got help soon, he was going to bleed to death. He knew it would be hours before someone might figure something was wrong and would come looking for him. So he had to make a courageous decision. Pulling the starter cord from his chainsaw he tied a, current, a tourniquet to his leg, shutting off the blood flow to his skin. Then somehow, with his pocket knife, he proceeded to amputate his lower leg, just below the knee. Now, on one leg, he had to find help. He crawled 135 feet uphill to his bulldozer. He climbed in. He started it up and drove that extremely slow machine a quarter of a mile to his pickup truck. Of course, the truck was a stick shift. He had to use a metal rod to uh, to depress the clutch when he shifted. He drove a mile and a half and came upon a dairy farm where someone called an ambulance. Don Wyman survived this ordeal. But only because he realized that being pinned under that oak tree To keep his leg would probably cost him his life. So he made a major decision. He had a major decision to make. And he chose to live. We think about our lives. There are many decisions we also need to make in our lives today. To choose life. We know that in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Our text is going to be the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount. Our text this morning is going to be from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 27. So one of those sermons, though, we're going to touch that text and then you know, a few verses and then go with various other texts to back that up. So we're going to be back and forth from our text. But I'd like to start with, when you look at his decision that he had to make. Jesus spoke in the first part of the sermon on the mount in chapter 5 to start off with, verses 29 and 30. What does Jesus say about our body parts? You think about how tough it must have been for him to cut off that leg, to live. But Jesus says in Matthew 29, 5 and 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And cast it away from you. For it is more profitable for you. That one of your members perish. Than that your whole body. Be cast into hell. He continues in verse 30. And if your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off. And cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you. That one of your members perish. Than for your whole body. To be cast. Into hell. So our lesson this morning comes from the latter part, as I said, of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a message entitled, Make Wise Decisions. Jesus concludes his best-known teaching by encouraging people to make wise decisions. He does so with a well-used method that reverberates through the whole Bible. It's the invitation to choose to be wise or choose To be foolish. The book of Proverbs. Is almost entirely devoted to the comparison. Between the wise. And the foolish. Moses. We can go back to the Old Testament. Moses. Deuteronomy 30. Verses 19 and 20. It says this day. I call heaven and earth as witness against you. That I have set before you life and death. I have set before you blessings and cursings. You now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. We can see it in the life of Joshua verses I'm sure we're all familiar with. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the God's your forefathers worship beyond the river and in Egypt and served the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, we think about that. We could say in the world today, why aren't many Christians, you know, why are there many non-Christians? Why are there people daily in life choosing not to worship God? You could say to them, as Joshua said to the people there, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are currently living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Jeremiah 21 and 8. Jeremiah 21 and 8, we have the example. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am sitting before you, or I'm, I'm sorry, I am setting, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. God was saying, you get to choose which way you will go. So every day, each and every one of us is faced with decisions. Will we be wise or will we be foolish? Jesus gives us three important questions to ask ourselves to ensure that we are following the way of the wise and not the way of the foolish. The first question Jesus asks is, which path are you traveling on? Now going to the text, Matthew 7. I would just like to look at the first two verses of our text, 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. A foolish person would probably say, there are no boundaries. The world thinks total freedom with no restrictions is the present goal, isn't it? In Proverbs 14 and 12, we can read, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. The wise person on this question would say, this road is narrow that Jesus speaks of. The road is narrow. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, we can read, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. There's a reason why Jesus says, narrow is the path. He knows the route provides the most fulfillment. I'd like you to compare these two ways. The Broadway. The Broadway is kind of like a, an interstate highway. It's easy to get on. I know when I make these trips back and forth to Virginia, for all of you that travel the PA Turnpike, it's the easiest way that we can pretty well handle to get on the PA Turnpike, travel down Route 70, then get on 270, and then 495, and just go from there. Down where Megan lives, we got 495, 95, and 395. My wife is still confused on you know which direction, north, south, east, west... 495, 395, 95, sometimes you're on 95, and then you got to get to use that to get to 495, then yes. You think about all those interstates and how they intertwine with each other. And that's what, and I look at the traffic flow, that is really what life is, isn't it? You look at people running around like crazy. Down there, I see people spinning around on the freeways, going this way, that way. Gates open, gates closed, they got access highways... If you don't like the flow of the highway, you can actually pay a little bit more with your Easy Pass and jump into the express lanes and pay more. Sometimes those gates are closed, though, and the expressways are closed today. You think about the confusion of life. It's easy to get on. You can travel very fast. You can be enticed by the many billboards along the way. You can quickly exit the highway. Partake in whatever. Whatever pleasure... Without what you think is accountability. And then get right back on the road. In contrast, for all of us from country, you can get on that narrow road. That winding rural road, which seems peaceful. You can enjoy the nature, the quiet settings and surroundings around you. You know what it is. But unfortunately, sometimes people can't find it. Your GPS doesn't take you on, a lot of times, those narrow roads. It's not always easy to find. You have to be careful how you travel it. It is very restrictive. The word translated narrow is from the Greek word for tribulation, which from what I understand means persecution. You have to leave your baggage behind. The wise person realizes that the way of life is very narrow as it is taught in the Bible. John 14 and verse 6. Again, very common verses. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Or in 1 Timothy. We can read 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And that man is Jesus Christ. Pursuing the narrow path is an ongoing decision. There is the one time that we decide to follow Christ, but we must continually, daily, make wise decisions in order to stay on that way. I'm sure we've all been on that country road, and maybe it turns into a gravel road, and we start to think, maybe we should get off this road. Maybe there's one that's a little smoother there's winds, sometimes those country roads wind and so on. You think, I really have to pay attention. I have to be cautious of the curves. When they have those warnings of, you know, you're, maybe the speed limit's 55, and then you got those 35-mile-an-hour suggestions for curves and so on. We really have to be alert. Driveways, people cutting out, kids playing, and maybe the dogs and so on that would cut out in front of you. We have to be constantly Aware of our surroundings. And that's what Jesus means by being on that narrow way. Jesus also says in our text, going back to a second question Jesus would ask Who are you listening to? Matthew 7, verses 15 through 22. Watch out for false prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And if in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles, then I will plainly say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. 1 Thessalonians five twenty one and 22. We need to test everything. We need to hold on to good. We need to avoid every kind of evil. The wise person says there's a difference between truth and falsehood. Jesus is condemning more than just the false teaching. He is discouraging false behavior. He is discouraging impure motives. And he is discouraging inconsistent actions on our part. Jesus points to the fruit as the essential method for discerning what is false and what is true. In Israel, the buckthorn plant produced little black berries that could initially be mistaken for grapes. There was also a thistle that produced a flower similar to the fig. So the idea of carefully examining the fruit of a plant was a familiar one to those that listened directly to Jesus' words. So how do we today tell the difference between a false teacher and a true one? We should pay attention to the manner of living that that person shows. Do they show righteousness, humility, and faithfulness in the way they live? We ask the question of ourselves. Do others see righteousness, humility, and faithfulness in the way that we live? We should pay attention to the the context of their teachings. What is the context of what we teach? Is the true fruit from God's word or is it man-centered? appealing to the ears that want to be tickled. We should pay attention to the effect of the teachings, whether those being taught to us or what we teach to others. Are people growing in Jesus, or are they merely being entertained and eventually falling away? Along with false teachers, there are false disciples. There are counterfeit Christians Just like a counterfeit $20 bill. They are not easily detected. It takes a trained discerning eye. Sadly, the the, uh, difference between genuine and counterfeit is always subtle. It is never obvious. Think about this for a moment. If I went into a grocery store and took a yellow piece of paper, had my wife's picture printed on it, and try to give it as a $20 bill, have the numbers in the corners, the 20s, and so on, do you think I'd get away with it? Probably not. However, if I gave them a crisp, perfectly shaped green piece of paper that looked just right, had the right background, had the distinguished picture of Andrew Jackson on it, I would probably have a much better chance to fool the clerk. In comparison to money, counterfeit believers are a lot harder to spot. They can mouth the right words or even do the right things. But that's religion. But Jesus calls us to a constant path, a consistent path, walked directly, daily, on a regular basis, marked by a sincere relationship to God's word. One that follows Jesus' example. What does Jesus say in John 14, 15? If you love me, then keep my commandments. That is how we detect a counterfeit. We really examine the lies. Then I ask myself personally, do I appear to others as a counterfeit? Or am I true? Do my actions speak God's words. Do my actions, my behavior, my words reflect what God wants me to do? What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount after the Beatitudes? Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify my light should shine to others that, one, they know that I am true, not counterfeit, and that it encourages them to glorify God, which is in heaven. Matthew, oh, by the way, the third question, Jesus asked, what are you building on? Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it was on the foundation of the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. That was was the part you didn't really, I mean, that's the truth you want. But I remember as a kid, there was an excitement in that. Because that's what you did. And the house stood firm. Think about the contrast to that. The foolish man. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who put his house on the ocean. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. The foolish man built. And the house went. And we couldn't wait as kids. in the enormous splat... As you get older and you have your own houses, you realize that's not the excitement anymore. The disappointment you have when you go out and see the foundation sinking and everything. You just have to drive up where I live, drive up along the beach line. What used to be a beach line. Friends of ours, the rideouts. Well, I can't tell you years ago how we used to have, you know, like just get togethers and family and, you know, and fire bonfires and stuff at the base right along the Lake Erie. That beach no longer exists. The water line has already come all the way up where he no longer has that beach we used to sit on and so on. We think about how things shift. That's what happens in life. The foolish person says, I plan for the temporary. Jesus wants us to plan for the future. Be thou found faithful unto death that you may receive that crown of righteousness prepared for you. Jesus continues throughout the Sermon of the Mount to get people to think long-term. Paul also writes in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. But the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. The wise person says, I plan for eternity. Who is that person that plans for eternity? James, as we have read in our Scripture reading this morning, James 1, verse 22, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. We need to be doers. Do what it says. So that is what we look at. Today, we need to be builders. In the storm... Will our life per, you know, persist and will it stand firm throughout life? We know that life throws many storms at us. But what can we be true and build on that foundation that God has prepared for us? In First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, it tells us, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. If any man builds on the foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So the important thing is we have a choice to choose to live. To live means To follow God's way. To use God's plan. To believe in the beginning God created. God being our creator. At the end, be thou found faithful. These words Jesus says in the very end, I've given unto you. Lo, I come quickly. So we need to have our life be written in that book of life. There is a parable Based on the, this parable is based on the old gospel song, "My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and rich righteousness." I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock. I stand; all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So we look at these underlying principles that we have. I think you get the idea from this morning's lesson. In conclusion, I'd like to tell you a little story. Many years ago, a man conned his way into the orchestra of the Emperor of China. Although he could not play a note, whenever the orchestra practiced or performed, he would hold his flute against his lips, pretending to play, but not making a sound. He received a modest salary and enjoyed a comfortable living. Then one day, the emperor requested a solo from each of the musicians. The flutist got nervous. There wasn't enough time to learn the instrument. He pretended to be sick, but the royal physician wasn't fooled. On the day of his solo performance, the imposter took poison and killed himself. The explanation of his suicide led to a phrase that is found in the English language often today. He refused to face the music. Today we can pretend to be part of God's orchestra by just blending in with the crowd and going through the motions. No one notices because we say the right things. We go to the right places and then we hang out with the right people. And we can enjoy the comfort of being accepted by the crowd of our choice. But there will come a day when we each must face the music. One day we will be separated from everything else. On that day, we will stand alone before God. Every day, we are building a foundation based on which path we travel and to whom we listen to. I like to ask these questions personally and then offer the invitation. The question is, will we make the right choices? It's time for us to choose. Have I chosen the right gate? Am I traveling the right road? Does my tree bear the right fruit? Am I following those who teach the truth? Is my faith demonstrated in what I do? And do I truly know God through his son, Jesus? These are the questions that we need to ask ourselves this morning. The invitation is offered to you. If there's anyone in our audience that needs the prayers of the congregation or have not taken the first steps and need to come forward to be baptized for the remission of their sins, you have that opportunity, whatever your need is, to come forward as we stand and sing our song of invitation.